This is 105.9 The Region, and you're listening to Discovery, the radio show for podcasters. Your content, unfiltered. This is Discovery. You're listening to 105.9 The Region. Welcome to another edition of the Millennial Balance Podcast. I'm Shaliza Vakis. I'm Afwa Ball. Hope everyone's doing lovely. See, the weather's coming out. It's all warm. Fun. We I love it. Yes. You know what that means? What does that mean? Everything. <laughs> Listen, now is the time, you know, things are getting better outside. Yes. Okay. We're still in the pandemic. I know. We know. It's not over. Fine. We know. But the weather's nice. Things have opened up a bit. And it's time to take advantage of what you can, you know, explore throughout mm-hmm. the province. Exactly. And I think we often forget, you know, we're stuck here in the city. We forget that there is so much amazing beauty really like that is in this province and it's not that far away from here exactly so i challenge you this summer don't necessarily book a vacation to you know the caribbean destinations Mm -hmm. try to explore right within your backyard and we have the very perfect person to help you get that exploration underway yes joining us is kevin forgette from destination ontario how are you kevin i am doing awesome thanks so much how are you guys doing Hey, we can't complain. You're going to be our ultimate travel guide. And I'm here like, you know, like a little kid and just sitting by your your feet and be like, okay, teach me. (laughs) And you know what? Some people are still a little skeptical about flying, about leaving the country that way. So, I mean, why not discover what's right here in Ontario? Mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah, And and the staycation, you know, the staycation has always been very popular, but more now than ever, because exactly like you mentioned, people have the hesitation of maybe not wanting to get on a plane or Still, you know, not wanting to go down and cross the border and go to the U.S. So really, it's an opportunity to explore what's in your own backyard. And it can be hours and hours in the car heading north or south or whatever. Or it could just be something literally an hour from your home. Either way, if you're getting out and doing something, it feels like a vacation no matter what it is. Now, Kevin, with that being said, I don't know that a lot of people are going to opt for the hours and hours in a car this time around. I know that was definitely the case at the beginning of the pandemic, but uh, gas is expensive. (laughs) So we might not be seeing those long road trips this time around. Yeah, you you may not. But the nice part is, is you don't need the long road trips to be able to go and enjoy. So say, for example, if you're looking, let's start off first talking about kind of maybe a night away and doing a little bit of a staycation. Even if you're 30 minutes, 40 minutes from home, and you get to still stay in a hotel and, you know, have the room service to your room, maybe enjoy the hotel pool. There are a ton of different resorts right in our own backyard. So if you're looking just sort of within the GTA and, you know, just sort of northern York region, there's places like the Briars Resort, which is a beautiful over 100-year-old resort on Lake Simcoe. So again, not that far. You can enjoy the water activities, all of that fun stuff, or even heading to Hockley Valley right in our own backyard, which is a beautiful resort, amazing dining, but they've also got brand new mountain biking trails and all of that kind of fun stuff too. So resorting and even just, you know, my wife and I did it not that long ago. We live in New York region. We went down and stayed in Toronto at a hotel just for a night. You know, we, we left the kids, went down and just stayed in a hotel in Toronto just for a night, ordered room service, enjoyed ourselves. And even though we're not far from home, it's still a night away. I love that idea. And it, you know what? It's, it's perfect. It's somewhere of like the home away from home, just a small little get away from home type of thing. You have it a little trip to yourself. Now, that being said, what about somebody who, you know, wants to have like a spa day and wants to have it, you know, within town? What are some of the places that you would recommend? 
So there are a lot of spa days and there's a lot of resorting and all of that stuff. So I'm going to sort of suggest that maybe you head to a website called resortsofontario.com. And they have a list of all the different resorts that you, that you can go to, spas that you can go to, um, different relaxation activities that you can enjoy. So that website there, resortsofontario.com, is going to be really your go-to for some resorting activities and spa getaways. Even within, you know, we've talked about staying within York Region, but not far outside of York Region. There's a brand-new spa called the Veta Spa. And it is this outdoor spa that has the massages, has all that fun stuff, but it also has the hot pools and hot tubs, outdoor plunge pools, all these amazing saunas and steam rooms. And this is just opened up literally a couple of months ago at Horseshoe Valley. It's a Horseshoe Resort. Oh, you know what? Is that the one that was going viral on like TikTok and stuff? I feel like I've seen that all over the place. It is. Yes, yes, <laughs> oh. yes. So it's that outdoor, has one of the like the world's largest indoor saunas, wood-fired oven saunas. They recommend leaving the, the phones in the lockers, but if you're looking for those Instagram pictures, that's probably the place you want to check out that's brand newly opened. You see, that's what us millennials do. We do it for the gram. We do it yeah, all perfect. the time. Yeah, no, I do it too. I, I'm, just, I'm just as guilty, right? They say, <laughs> leave your phones alone. You're supposed to be relaxing. But, you know, you have to make sure you get the pictures too. Yeah, I mean, if it's not on Instagram, it didn't happen. It didn't exist, right? Oh, that, that's <laughs> saying. I, say I can't. <laughs> and, and, and a lot of people are looking for those Instagrammable moments. And it's just day trips. You can just kind of go for a hike and enjoy kind of the nature trails that are in our own backyard. So there are some great conservation parks and great conservation areas right around the area. So Albion Hills, which is in Caledon, which is a popular one, the Courtright Center in Woodbridge, and even the Bruce's Mill in Stouffville. These different conservation areas have kilometers and kilometers of hiking trails, lookout points, some great fun stuff that are going to get you those pictures that you really want for the grand for sure. I think I even visited a rattlesnake point up in uh, Milton, and it was beautiful. I mean, just the views that you just get to see of the Niagara Escarpment, it was gorgeous. That Those are some Instagram-worthy photos, I think. <laughs> that would suffice. <laughs> they are for sure, and, and they all offer something different. So you could really honestly go to a different conservation park every weekend. Uh, their website, conservationparks.ca, easy to remember. But also, one thing that's really popular is the Ontario Parks, and I'm going to ask you both, have you gone camping lately? No. Camp I'm honestly not an <laughs> I haven't been able to person. I. Same. However, <laughs> I wouldn't say no completely to glamping. Thank you. Thank See? you, Shaliza. Like, <laughs> I was gonna I say just, it. I need a bathroom and a mosquito net. And I think I think mm. I'm good. <laughs> no, I'm going to challenge you both to step Ooh. out of your comfort zone a little bit. You'll realize how fun it is and how enjoyable it is. And, you know, I've been camping since I was like literally two years old and right up till now. And, you know, camping is a pretty inexpensive getaway that you can also do right in your own backyard. There are so many Ontario parks right in our own backyard that you can go and just enjoy for the day. And also, you know, the new thing that they have at a lot of the parks is that you can book your day passes in advance. So you don't have to worry about maybe not getting in. You know, if you're getting a bunch of groups of friends together saying, hey, let's meet up at Civil Point Provincial Park, you don't want to show up at the gates and not be able to get in. So you can go to the website, pre-book your day passes, which are great. But also camping is so popular. Weekends are hard to get into, but booking during the week is a little easier. So get your tents, grab your friends, grab a bag of wood, some hot dogs on a stick. But there's also nothing better than s'mores. By the mm. fire while you're camping. I That's mean, the Instagram picture you need. <laughs> he knows it. He I knows mean, it. I will not turn down a good s'more. I'm with it. Anything with marshmallows and chocolate, I'm yes, there. Yes, please. <laughs> I'm going to have to take you camping with me. I'm sorry. Honestly, like, right, I don't Kevin, think... 
Come on. I don't think we'd survive <laughs> camping without someone like Honestly. Kevin. Now, Kevin, back at the beginning of the pandemic, you know, I seen everybody on my Instagram feed driving up to Torbamori. Mm-hmm. So is there a hot spot for 2022 maybe that's different? Yeah, and I would recommend, honestly, not to drive up to Tobermory because everybody and their brother is going up there, yeah. and it is overly populated and too packed. So I'm really going to say this is not the year to do it, and because for that reason, everyone's going up there. So, you know, one of the hot spots that a lot of people are going to now are heading out to, like, you know, the, the different hidden gems and different spots. So heading maybe to Alora and doing the Alora Gorge and hopping in a tube and going down the tube along the gorge or heading out to, you know, even a, a one, one spot that I love. And I know where maybe it's a couple of hour drive and it would take a little bit more gas money, but the Kingston and Thousand Islands area is one of my favorite spots in Ontario, just because downtown Kingston has per capita the most independent restaurants in one area. Mm-hmm. So you can eat your way through Kingston, which is amazing. The views are amazing. The history is awesome. But then also scoot over to the Thousand Islands and see the quaint little town there and even maybe hop in a helicopter to or flying over the Thousand Islands. That's going to get you the pictures that you need. Wow, that like I'm almost sold on that one I right know. there. I'm just picturing it. Honestly, I think you had Affle at the restaurant. You had me at the restaurant. <laughs> you still had me at chocolate, honestly. <laughs> um, you know what? You haven't mentioned yet, um, or maybe you might be getting to it, but is um, Niagara on the Lake, is that still, you know, quite a hot spot for 2022? It's a super hot spot, um, you know, but again, it's a busy, it's a busy area, but if you're going to do Niagara on the Lake, you know, tour around, do some of the wineries, they have some bike rentals. So one of the big popular things now in Niagara on the Lake is actually doing a self-guided bike tour from the winery to the winery. So you hop on a rental bike, you go from a different winery, do some sampling, get back on the, the bike, go to another winery. So Niagara on the Lake, very popular area. And then if you do want to spend a little bit of time in Niagara Falls, Lots of great new things that Niagara Falls now offers. Uh, there's the power station that just opened up, which has an amazing nighttime show called Currents, which is this like 3D light show that simulates. It's pretty amazing. As well as one of my favorite things, and it's the Whitewater Walk, which brings you down to the gorge, and you're walking on this brand new wooden path right beside the Class 6 Rapids. So you're seeing the water and the rapids that are going down the gorge. That's one really neat kind of area that you can check out in Niagara Falls also. I actually did not know about that. Neither did I. That sounds awesome. You know the journey behind the falls thing, which Mm -hmm. I thought was pretty cool, but this sounds like that times 10. Yeah. Yeah, Journey Behind the Falls is amazing, and then there's a brand new attraction that's going to be opening up July 1st at the power station that I mentioned, and it's actually going to be a tunnel. You go down in an elevator, walk through this amazing tunnel that's surrounded by bricks that's going to take you to this outlooking point, which is right at the Horseshoe Falls. Like, you're literally, it's a completely different view of the Horseshoe Falls, and it's a brand new attraction that opens July 1st. I will camp out there June 30th. (laughs) That is me. Um, What about, you were mentioning a a bit before that sort of camping might be a little bit sort of for somebody who's trying to be a little bit more budget friendly. Do you know other maybe budget friendly type of staycations that people can try? So that's where you can look at some of the day trips. So, you know, you can get to uh, another great place is Attractions Ontario. And it's a, the Attractions Ontario sort of represents different attractions from across the province. And you can go there, do some looking on their website. They offer some discounts. So really, if you're looking to kind of save some money, do something with the family, you know, I recommend packing a picnic, going down and just sort of walking in some of these conservation areas. One other place that's really spectacular, especially this time of the year for kind of 
money savings and and getting out and enjoying nature is the Royal Botanical Gardens. Mm -hmm. And that is just sort of in the sort of um, Hamilton area, that's the best way to describe it. And you pay your admission and you can spend the entire day there. That sounds like so much fun. You've given us so many options. You know, you've got like couple options, friend group options, family options, something for everybody. I want to know though, Kevin, what is one mm-hmm. your one of your all-time favorite staycation places in Ontario? Oh, that puts me on the spot. Mm-hmm. I have to say, <laughs> I absolutely. I, I'm going to use the one I mentioned already was Kingston. I love that. That's sort of one of the areas that I love. But then also, I would say heading up to the Halliburton Kawartha's area. And one is houseboating, uh, which is a blast if you have a group of friends to be able to, to rent a houseboat and do that together. Or heading to like just a little quaint resort called the Bonnie View Inn, which is in the Halliburton area. And it's just one of my favorite areas too. You know, there's so much to see and do and explore in Ontario. Um, I'm going to give a plug if you don't mind. It's Destination Ontario dot com and really it has everything that you need there from all corners of the province and every type of adventure you're looking for so you literally just answered our next question as to (laughs) where our listeners can find more information (laughs) i promise that if both of you go camping i will provide everything you need for s'mores and i will give you the gourmet (laughs) s'more kit Okay, we'll we might take you up on that, Kevin. Kevin, you're okay, like you're perfect. speaking music to my soul right now. <laughs> I don't know. All right, Kevin Forgette from Destination Ontario, you've given us some amazing ideas for staycations this summer. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this edition of Millennial Balance. We'll catch you next time. See ya. Do you have an idea or a podcast to share? Send it to us here at Discovery, the radio show for podcasters on 1059 The Region. Welcome to the premiere episode of the Canadian Museums Association podcast. This is the first in a three-part series centered on the state of museums today, viewed through the lens of the CMA's 2022 conference theme, Dismantling Foundations to Build a Better Tomorrow. Over the course of the series, we will hear from three speakers sharing their perspectives of the present, past, and future of the Canadian museum sector. Massimo Bergamini is CEO and Executive Director of the Canadian Museums Association. Heather George is an Indigenous curator currently working at the Woodland Cultural Centre and a CMA board member. And Luann Neal, an artist and arts advocate currently working at Creative BC, British Columbia's Creative Industry Catalyst. Following a three-year tenure as head of Indigenous Collections at the Royal BC Museum, Luann is also a member of the CMA Reconciliation Council. Canadian museums are at a crossroads hit hard by the pandemic. Some accused of discriminatory hiring practices and work environments, many others for their colonial structures facing calls for repatriation of their treasures and new narratives to include truthful Indigenous history and collections and representations. In other words, 
Canadian museums are dealing with many of the same debates besetting our broader society. According to Massimo Bergamini, he's the executive director and CEO of the Canadian Museums Association. It's an interesting question. How we got here is the history of Canada. Ours is a colonial history, so we are the fruit of colonization. Our institutions are colonial institutions. Our constitution reflects a binational, bicultural compact. It just doesn't align with the awakening of an assertion of an indigenous presence, an indigenous political force, unlike anything that we have seen before. So on the one hand, you have a shift in the configuration of political power, which I think is for the better. There is also a recognition politically and socially of the injustices of the past. Heather George is curator of Indigenous Histories at the Canadian Museum of History, a guest curator at the Woodland Cultural Centre on Six Nations near Brantford, Ontario, and a member of the board at the Canadian Museums Association. Museums are a reflection of the societies that they are in, right? And we as museum workers are that as well. They can't really be separated from each other. And I certainly say that in terms of Indigenous realities, both socially and politically, they're so interconnected. It'd be really fun to think if museums were in this beautiful bubble where we never had to think about what was going on outside, but that wouldn't be very effective in supporting our communities. We really are seeing that today, but it also requires the general public to engage. And it requires us to engage with the general public. It's a two-way relationship in that if museums want to change, and if the public wants us to change, then we need to actually make room for those conversations. And the change that we make is usually reflective of broader conversations. Last fall, the Royal BC Museum announced plans to close parts of its First Peoples Gallery as one step towards decolonization. The gallery had been widely criticized for focusing on settlement of the province by European pioneers. It was the latest in a difficult period for the museum. So it's not surprising that museums as institutions of this colonial construct are still caught within those paradigms. So. What we're seeing in our sector is an attempt to shed the trappings of colonialism and great efforts are being undertaken to do that. I believe the real challenge is to translate what we are doing institutionally and the kind of conversations that are taking place institutionally, the kind of transformations that are taking place within our institutions, translate them into something that resonates with the larger population so that it can actually transform our thinking and transform the political discourse so that we can begin the work at chipping away at the broader institutional foundations of our country. Otherwise, we run the risk of creating these institutional islands that may have shed some of the trappings of colonialism, but still remain very much trapped in a framework which is alien to and hurtful for very many of our fellow citizens. 
Well, it's a new direction for the Royal BC Museum, a new department called First Nations and Repatriation. Its creation was announced back in The January. effort to decolonize the Royal BC Museum's First Peoples exhibit is expected to take years and will include consultations with Indigenous communities and long overdue repatriation of materials. But the struggle to be heard and included goes back many decades. It's really interesting to me that the groundwork... Expo 67 and the Indians of Canada Pavilion and Russ Moses and the work he did. That groundbreaking work was happening in the 60s and 70s already. The largest World's Fair ever, Expo 67. Host Canada is among 62 nations who have built 100 pavilions on the 1,000-acre site of entertainment and education. The Indians of Canada Pavilion, as it was called in 1967, presented to the world a rare view of Indigenous culture, along with commentary on the suppression of that culture and the attempt to assimilate Indigenous children. The work of residential school survivor Russ Moses, who headed the project as Deputy Commissioner General, was considered groundbreaking, a watershed of Indigenous self-representation in front of national and international audiences. His son John Moses has continued his legacy as supervisor of repatriation at the Canadian Museum of History and managing the preservation of artifacts and documents at the Canadian Conservation Institute. It's a question that museums around the world struggle with. Who owns art, antiquities, cultural artifacts, and even human remains taken by colonial powers over the past few centuries? From the so-called Elgin marbles removed from Greece to the cultural artifacts of Canada's First Nations displayed around the globe, there are growing demands for such items to be returned. What's a museum to do? In 1994, a task force of First Peoples and the Canadian Museums Association produced a report calling for changes within heritage institutions, including Indigenous involvement in interpretation of history, access to museum archives, repatriation of materials, and training to allow Indigenous communities to set up their own museums. But the interesting thing is it kind of stalled. So, like, there hasn't been a lot of progress since maybe the 90s. There's been small things, but certainly on this sort of broad national policy level until the Truth and Reconciliation Report and probably more significantly the news out of Kamloops. There's a developing story out of British Columbia. A First Nation says the remains of more than 200 children have been located, buried on the site of a former residential school, in fact, the largest residential school in the entire national network. The discovery of 215 grave sites at a former residential school touched off international condemnation and an awakening. Indigenous people can talk about this all we want, but until the general public and non-Indigenous people are interested in making the change, we're a minority always. And so it's very difficult to make this change. And so we basically can go back to this work that was being done in the 90s and in the 70s, and everything that was being said then is still so relevant today. So it was just we didn't have the momentum. So I think now we have a lot more momentum. I hope that it lasts. In 2007, the United Nations declared that Indigenous people have the right to practice and revitalize their cultural traditions and to preserve and protect artifacts along with other aspects of culture. 
Initially, Canada was one of only four nations to oppose the declaration, but finally accepted it almost 10 years later. Luann Neal is an Indigenous West Coast artist, former curator at the Royal BC Museum, and also a member of the Canadian Museums Association's Reconciliation Council. The UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, if you go through and see what the declaration says, it actually pulls together much of what's been said probably for the past 50 or 60 years that First Nations communities have been saying forever, that we have a right to determine our own destiny. We have a right to say whether things should be in museums. We have a right to bring home ancestral remains that have been dug up in our territories over countless years and offer these people a proper reburial. So the UN Declaration provides that framework. What happens now is that individual organizations then need to take a look at policies that align with some of the things that are talked about in the UN Declaration and rework how their policies are written, what their intent is, and whether the policy is in and of itself discriminatory. So I think there's an interesting balance between the UN Declaration, Canada's Human Rights Charter, and also the recommendations that came out of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, the Task Force on First Peoples and Museums. When you lay out all these things together and underpin it with Section 35 of the Constitution, it's pretty comprehensive and clear that organizations in a colonial structure have a lot of work to do. But I think that people need to not feel like, where should I begin? If you read all of those things for starters, you can't help, I couldn't help, but be able to just immediately make a top 10 list of things that could actually be changed. For Massimo Bergamini, a new national museum policy is paramount. The last one was created in the 1970s, focusing heavily on easing divisions between French and English Canada. The institutional and financial frameworks that might have served the sector and the country well 50 years ago are not adapted to a Canada which has changed dramatically. The tensions, the stresses today are not the tensions and the stresses of 50 years ago. And I would argue, as a matter of fact, that in many ways, the stresses, tensions and fractures that we face today as a country are more acute and more difficult to address than those of 50 years ago, where there were institutional solutions. Repatriation of the Constitution was one way. Answering the question, what Quebec wants, as complex as it may have seemed, appears quite quaint today when we're looking at the kind of cultural fissures that we have in our country. Adding to the challenges of decolonization and repatriation are allegations of system discrimination at the employment level, including the hiring process. The reality of the colonial system is it's quite large and it's embedded in everything we do. And that's part of the reason that this work is complicated. So within museums, the type of support can be anything from hiring practices that value knowledge gained through lived experience as much as academic experience to being flexible in terms of people taking the time they need to go into community and do ceremony to to 
giving people the time to actually engage in the traditional practices that have resulted in the material culture that's in the museum so that we better understand right from the harvesting of a material through to the production of a material, through to even the use of that material. So it's very difficult, for instance, a collection manager and a collection manager job description in any given museum has some pretty specific parameters, has a educational requirement and probably an experience requirement. And often it will say, must have experience working with collections. So Who defines what a collection is? How do you count that to get somebody in and shortlist them for an interview in the first place? Even at that level, at an entry-level position, it's very difficult to get Indigenous candidates in to get them that experience. These are difficult times, but they're also times of reflection and times and, and opportunities for exploring new ways. So they're exciting times as well. And there's a sense within the community of effervescence, you know, a sense that this is an opportunity to tear down some of the old constructs of the past and try to build something better going forward. And that happens to be the theme of our conference this year. But the path to tearing down old constructs is a complicated road. Before reconciling the past, uncovering and dealing with the truth is essential. More on that in our next episode. The Canadian Museum Association is the voice for Canada's vibrant museum community. From small volunteer-driven organizations to national institutions, and for the millions of Canadians whose lives are enriched by museums. The Canadian Museums Association podcast is made possible, thanks in part, to funding from the Department of Canadian Heritage as part of the CMA Strengthening the Museum Workforce Initiative. Discovery, the radio show for podcasters, exclusive to 105.9 The Region. Expand your audience and extend your reach. Send us your podcast, info at 1059theregion.com.